I know I said the series was 10 part, but there were so many great outtakes in our conversations because many of us hadn't spoken in 20 years that there were so many different tangential and arbitrary conversations that I just had to put together basically a an outtakes uh, and random clip episode. So here it is. And in this episode, you're going to hear Alison Goldberg, Amanda Marchand, Mira Hecht, Ricardo Rivera, Sonia Heinrichsen, Joram Wahlberger, Lizea Lyons, and Peter Wu. This is truly the last episode of the series. Thank you very much for listening. Through the course of my conversations through this podcast, I've had like, I've done 220 episodes now. So I've had lots of conversations and learned lots of mistakes that I made in my career. Did you, were there any, so I, I call them mistakes. You don't have to call them that, but like, were there any things that you're like, oh, if I hadn't done that, maybe I could have been more successful or whatever. It's something that uh, I call it a mistake. I don't know. If the goal was to, you know, have gallery representation, then perhaps the ultimate mistake was going to the Art Institute in the first place. (laughs) Because I don't feel like there were any connections or networks that helped propel me in that direction. And I think if I had gone to another city where the arts were more integrated and vibrant and there were more galleries, those institutions might've had connections that could have, you know, helped me do that. It's interesting you say that because I've run into that a number of times where people talk about how their professor in grad school introduced them to a gallery. Yeah, yeah. Whereas like my experiences in San Francisco was all of the professors were incredibly selfish and they had no interest in introducing us to their whatever, their connections, their curators, their gallerists. Well, it was also tenuous for them too. Yeah, I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's so many artists, there's so many people trying to do this. But what's in, what I'm finding interesting about the way you're talking about it is like I find that idea fascinating. Like if I were to go back to that time and choosing a grad school, and if I were to go to look at a city, let's say, and look at the galleries, and then and find a gallery I liked, and then looked at their roster and found what school they seemed to pull from, and then chosen to go to that school so that I then could have gotten introduced to that gallery. That's a way more cunning, intelligent way to do that process. Sure, sure. But is that the ultimate goal? I mean, in 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 hindsight now, like it's like it's too cunning. It's too yeah. capitalistic. Yes. Yes. Yeah. No, if I had a choice going back, I would come to Europe. Is mm-hmm. what I would have done because, like, fuck Europe, it just done it right. My wife just finished gr- her master's program, and you know what? How much it cost her? How much? Zero. Uh huh. Yeah. I mean, that's the way it should be for all education, not just the arts. All right. Uh, on a big sort of thing, like 
do you look back over your career and think about any potential mistake or not potential, but any mistakes that you made that you're just like, that was a mistake? Uh, I look back. I don't think I made any mistakes. I mean, I think if I had, I've sort of swerved. I went through literature for a decade and, you know, I was really in the writing scene in Montreal and that was really you know, at the forefront of what I was doing, but I was always making visual work too. And I was think I was trying to figure which which am I going to choose? Am I going in, you know, down path A or path B? So it was a little slower, but that was so formative for me. It's really I'm still the work I still write the books I publish, there's text in them or you know, and it was just really it's a part of, of the work I'm making now. The question, did I make any mistakes? I don't have any regrets, so I'd say no. I think that moving to New York and having children and, and trying to figure out the financial was really hard, and it threatened me maybe not being an artist because it was not really working out. It was really a, a painful time, although I loved being a mother and I was living in New York. You know, it was just, it was so hard to, to figure, to do that juggle and to be successful at the different parts of it. So now when I'm working with artists, I think one reason that I wanted to, to really, you know, solidify the artist coaching is because I feel that I have things to impart to others who may be in a similar position. And I know that there, I know the pitfalls. I know the struggle. I know the, the things that I could you know, gently nudge in a direction that isn't so hard. Well, it doesn't need to be so hard. It it doesn't really need to be hard. It doesn't need to be that kind of a struggle. And I think that I can help people that way. So that's been also useful. I think the failures or this, this, those difficult parts end up really teaching you. So I don't know why you're laughing, but that's I'm laughing because Lizzie and I were discussing about how at one point or another, you have made both of us cry. (laughs) (laughs) And you're sitting here going, I will gently nudge you. And I'm like, no, you don't. No, no, you're not a gentle nudger. You you like, you like beat us down. (laughs) Gentle nudger. I I have learned to be more of a gentle nudger. I have learned to, because I think I've also learned like that artist part of yourself, whatever that part is, no, just take away the art. The part of yourself that needs to express something is like that. If you go back to when you're a child, you're two or you're three or you're four, it's just like pure energy. You can't really judge that. You can't really knock it about. And that's the part that we need to protect. And so if you're working with people, it's not about the work being good or bad. It's about bringing out that energy, you know? So, I mean, I am definitely hard if I'm critiquing your words and an essay that you've written or an artist statement that needs work. I mean, it's just the brass tacks. It needs to, you know, move up a level to get what you want. And then you get through customs and then you move on to making the work you need to make. So, I mean, there are parts where it's just, you know, practical criticism, but I think that I do try to <laughs> I do try to just encourage I, I think that is really key and also genuinely kind of fascinated and interested in all the work that people make I loved all the different you know directions that 
an artist can take and really feel that it's fun to support that and fun to see that grow. So I don't know that that is true, but I'm sorry if I made you cry, but you probably benefited from it. That's what I'll say. <laughs> I'm sure you're better for it now. <laughs> I remember a very particular time sitting down in your studio down the hill from school, and you and I had a very heated debate about the use of a comma versus a semicolon. <laughs> <laughs> Did we? I have no recollection of that. I do. I remember being so pissed off leaving that conversation with you. <laughs> but who was right? Oh, I'm sure you were, quite honestly. Yeah, no. <laughs> like, I, I don't know a damn thing about grammar. I don't even know why I felt the need to defend my poor grammar, but for some reason I did. I think I was still walking around with Strunk and White, the elements of style at that point in my back pocket to edit, but... Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. That shows you how bad my grammar knowledge is. So that's fine. Uh, you probably won't use this answer, but I don't really think I was. It would we do anything differently? Is that the question? Sure. There's there's no right answer to this. It's just a question. I feel very grateful. I, I feel part of the gratitude comes from having had struggle and knowing what it feels like to be just having things to a certain degree work. You can make work and then you, there's a community that will view it or you make work and you're able to produce a book or I can apply to a residency and I can go and have an incredible experience and, and continue to move my work forward. So uh, everything that all the ups and downs and there have been the downs are, are really a big part of the ups I've figured I've been figuring things out along the way there there. I wouldn't want to change them because I wouldn't be here now. They've been really invaluable. Are there any things that you choices that you sort of maybe wish you did differently? Sort of just like a little bit of hindsight of like, Hmm, maybe I could have done that better or maybe, or maybe even something, a mistake that you made or that was made uh, uh, sort of on your behalf or on your career that you sort of wish uh, you had known about or could have sort of tried to avoid. Does that make any sense? Yeah, it does. I don't think I have anything like that. The only thing that I can say that I feel that I don't do a lot is even if you're in a gallery, you need to, Keep in contact with that gallery. You need to send them images of your new work. You need to at least do that. You know, you need to say, hey, I'd like to have another show or when can I, can I schedule another show? So you need to be visible to the gallery. And so I know sometimes I'm so into the work that, you know, I won't get the photographs done of the work quickly enough. I won't send and say, hey, this is the new body of work I'm working on. Um, I'd like you to look at them. And so just, I think that's been something that I've lagged on, just really keeping in contact with people, showing, you know, what I'm doing. And, and so I think I could have been better, or I could be better at that. But no, I don't think any missteps. I'm I'm just, yeah, I feel great about what's happened. Yeah. Over the course of your career, are there any sort of um, 
choices that you might have done differently or what I sort of I put the the word mistakes or you know directions that went that you sort of wish it had gone differently whatever whatever word you want to put to it I think that my kind of resistance to I would say accumulation of wealth debilitated my development living in the bay area in Oakland, when we did, we could have afforded a small condo, but we didn't want to. We were scared of whether the economy would collapse and how are we going to pay for this. And so if we would have bought something, I remember looking and some of the condos in the area where we're at, they were just like $60,000. You know, we could have afforded it. And this is in 2002. 2003, right after graduation. And it would have been the same payment as uh, renting. And so I didn't like, I didn't understand equity and the accumulation of all that stuff. And I didn't care about it, but it would have made our lives so much easier. Now that you have hindsight of 20 years, do you feel like there were any things that you may have done made sort of some missteps or some things that you may have chosen to have done differently with the wisdom and age that you have now looking back that you might have done different choices or anything like that? You mean in art school? No, I'm just meaning, well, it could be the choices of going to art school, the choices in art school, or anything that has happened since graduation, like any sort of choices in, in your career? I mean, in art school, I would say, I'm not sure if um, the new genres major was a wise decision, simply because at the time, you know, as I, as I said earlier, I was trying to apply for for teaching positions for a while. And it seemed to me that uh, with that specific um, MFA in new genres, there were way less jobs than let's say somebody who was in, who had graduated in ceramics or painting or sculpture because it's broader. Ours was not very broad. Plus at some point there was always this connection between like new genres art, video art, gaming and web design. And that is- And graphic design. And graphic design. The applied art somehow came into that. And if you, you know, because most schools do not have a new genres department. So so the, the only departments we would have fit into that would have considered our application were, were like had to do with like video video design or or graphic design or web design or uh, gaming gaming design and I as like this this was not what I you know what like so far away from anything I was interested in and I was doing so I feel like the majoring in new genres as cool as it seemed at the time in terms of application in terms of you know applying to to teaching positions it was not a good choice that i think could have been different even though yes i don't know but at at the time you know i had no idea this would be something that i would later even think about you know 
I thought it would be the other way around. I thought people would be so impressed by a new genre thing that they'd, they'd want to hire me. But I ended up, because I, I, primarily I was a photographer, so like the new genre was just like a part of what I did. And so I kept applying for photography teaching positions, and they were always like, who the fuck is this guy who has doesn't have a master's in photography applying for this photography teaching job? And I'm like, but I did photography as my master's thesis like that was what my education was in but they didn't care yeah i mean i had equal amount of problems my first teach full-time teaching job was actually in a a visual communications technology department not the art department Mm -hmm. yeah that sounds exactly yeah so yeah no i think it's not the other way around it's just that um that i uh i you know i I had no idea. And maybe I even thought it's cool. It's a cool thing to ha have new genres. And it's, it's so, it's so uh, multidisciplinary because we did so many things, right? But I had no idea that later on this could actually get in the way because as you were just saying, if you apply for, you know, a photo department, they like, well, this person's degree is not in photography you know, and they didn't have a new genres department. I mean, what school has that? It's very few. It's very rare. Maybe they have a video department, but most likely not, you know? So I felt that was basically, that was a pretty big deficit. Did you feel like at any point you sort of maybe, maybe in hindsight made some career choices that you might like think of as like, oh, that was a mistake or something you might've wanted to have done differently other than the gallery choice. Cause we already talked about that. No, the gallery choice was not a mistake. Maybe I, now that maybe would be, I would. That, that to me falls into a possibly wanted to do differently category. No, I, that's actually could be one of them that maybe uh, in hindsight, I could have been a little bit more, I should have not maybe uh, closed the door on Catherine Clark Gallery. I could have maybe been a little bit more calm like now and more mature about it and maybe just reduce the amount of connection but not completely shut the door. She was a very hard worker, very dedicated. You know, you, know, you learn over the years that everyone is different and no one is perfect, right? So it wasn't perfect, but I probably could have keep it and I mean, it's not a huge mistake. It's just even personally, I feel bad about the way it ended. So that's one thing. Other one is it's not career choice, but it's going back to what you talked about your conversation with Tony Labat. My experience at the Art Institute was completely opposite. Um, and again, I'm not trying to show off, but that was my experience. I came in and I did some some pieces and I got some amazing feedback from the teacher, from the student, right off the bat, from the first year, almost to the point where I was like walking on the cloud, like I'm the best of the best. And I think that was, it's not something I could have controlled. I think that's actually something they could have controlled and maybe not to say to me stuff that they did. You know, I was, I didn't know much. I was older, but I didn't know about art world. The word that some teacher told me Completely, we say in Hebrew, your urine go up to your head. That's what happened to me for two years. My urine was up in my head. I was so much, I was the star of the show in my eyes. And that was really bad. That was really bad. It's like, 
exactly the opposite of what I talked before, what I wanted from the artist, that I want to get critique. And I did get critique, but that feeling that you, I was good did not help. I was cocky. I pushed out some people that I, should, I stepped on a lot of teacher f- f- toes, which was actually came back to me later. Um, just on a note, you know, they graduated me as a, I didn't pass. I was, um, even though I had two shows already scheduled, in their eyes, I passed with reservation because I'm not ready. I actually took Tony Labat to lunch after that and asked him, Tony, so what do you mean I'm not ready? Can you tell me when I'm going to be ready? That, so that was the end. The end was kind of flip. It went down. Not because, I mean, they were trying to get at me for some other reasons, but I think that 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 kind of um, overly excitement and support in the beginning was not good for me. I wish it was different. So I, if I could have done it differently, I would be much more humble and much more self-criticizing myself during those beginning of the years. And humble, being humble is really important, and it's not part of the food we eat as artists. You know, we have big egos, and we think we're the best. And we talk about, and I wish there was a class, how to be humble as an artist. How to, you know, don't get the stuff to go up to your head. You're not, you're just one of millions, and it's, you're not the best, and you're not so good as you think you are as a student. Uh, of course, when you go out, reality teaches you right away that that's how it is. I remember in grad school, it's funny because like, now that we're talking, I can't remember whether it was a conversation I overheard of teachers talking or of other students talking. But I remember having a conversation or hearing a conversation of people talking about like who of the graduating class is going to like make it, like who's the ones that are like the good ones that are going to be successful. And I remember the pretty much everybody was just like, Yoram. <laughs> like everybody See, even, was just like. Even that, that's, it worked against me. You know, it worked against me. Interesting. Because, I mean, I can tell you superlative that I heard that I wish I would not. I remember the first, Doug Hall came to me. It's funny that you mentioned him. He came to me in the beginning after the first project that Inside Out furniture that I did and he, because I said, I, he knew that I was uh, conflicted. I think I talked to him before I even joined. It was a desk, right? Because I think I remember that. Yeah, piece. it was a, yeah. a little furniture, a little girl furniture. Uh-huh. And he knew that I didn't, wasn't sure if I want to go to CCA or Art Institute. He knew that. And so he came to me after I showed that project. He said, Yoram, I'm really happy that you came to the Art Institute. I mean, I know he had good intentions, but that with other things, it's kind of built... I don't think it's good. I don't think it was really bad for me. You know, I was too comfortable. I was too sure of myself. I was, and then I then I start behaving in a way that I don't I, I don't think helped me in any way later. I mean, it could have been worse. I don't think I'm a show off. I think I'm not. That's not me. But I do get arrogant, and I do you know, especially the relationship with the teachers. I did step on some teachers' toes in a way that I'm embarrassed even to think because I thought I know better. And so, yeah, that's the one thing. It's it's not, it didn't affect my career as much because once I left, I was not dependent on any of those people that I, <laughs> I hurt maybe or I, not hurt, but hurt their ego. And the not past, didn't, you know, I wasn't there 
statement, I'm not ready, just was a wash under the bridge because, like I said, I had two shows. I had then later two galleries. It did not affect my career in any way. The one thing is I was never called back to the Art Institute until today, not to do a lecture, not to do anything. And it could have been because the same people I bumped against are still there or around the thing. Um, I had zero contact with the alumni, nothing, you know, from them, which, you know, sometimes is a little kind of painful because I'm here in San Francisco, but, you know, I don't need them. I have a gallery in LA. My work is shown outside of the city, but I have zero in my own town. That has to do also probably with how I behaved in the community here. I keep in touch with students, peers, you know, but um, nothing with the, except from one teacher, but even with him, it's kind of ups and down. It's more about the community. I, that's something that I, you know, I, I could have done differently, I think. But career-wise, I think I cannot remember major things. I think I was very much involved in my career, very much pushing it and not just and doing a lot of actions to develop it and, and to bring my work out there. So I always tell students, you know, you got to do it yourself. You cannot have an, uh, wait for others to do it. Like you got to be pushy and you got to work around the system and you got to bug people and you got to when you have the energy, you apply to all these uh, other public art or other competition. You gotta be the, uh, aggressive and dynamic about it, and I think I'm happy with the way I did it. Coming from a writer, I will take that as as truth. Yes, yeah. the person who wrote a screenplay. Who knew that? In the Bahamas, no less. You wrote a screenplay in the Bahamas. I was writing a screenplay with another woman she was really at the helm i had done some film classes i'd taken some screenwriting classes at nyu and i was assisting her for three years so it was a crazy story i have this whole picture in my mind where you like laying on the beach like just like laying under an umbrella like and she's talking and you're just taking notes kind of thing it was a lot like that it was a bit like um she was in her late 70s into the early 80s when I worked with her. So she was really elderly. She had uh, been best friends with Doris Duke. So she had inherited some of Doris's money and she was putting it all towards the film. And she had built herself a Roman ruin that was, it had crumbling walls and lizards and ivy going up with a, with a, a, a pool that was fed by the ocean that she swam in every day. And she served guava cheesecake when friends would come to visit or people would come to visit because she was kind of a legend on the island. And she'd always serve this guava cheesecake. So some days we were working. I only worked mornings, but some days we were working on the screenplay. Other days were, there were visitors and we would talk. And I was like her little, <laughs> I don't know, her young friend, her young <laughs> friend and collaborator. <laughs> It was a really crazy job. Yeah, it was really, really interesting. How have you been? Or what, so what's your life like these days? You're in Florida and you are... Yeah, I think I'm still getting over empty nest syndrome, which has been about three years now. So I stayed in New York a year after she finished school and she moved to Ohio. So... 
because that's where the guy she married is from. So that last year in New York was kind of, just wasn't fun anymore. And I wanted to have more space, have a house. Ideally, my plan was to move to Florida to save more money to be able to travel more. So yeah, I moved here July 2019. And I finally signed up for or made plans to do a residency in Italy, uh, September 2019. That was like my first and only residency, speaking of your other podcasts, because I know you talk about that. I was just waiting, uh, waiting till my daughter had gone off and gotten settled and I could commit to something like that. So that was great. Uh, that was two weeks in Northern Italy. And then I came back and I went to Budapest for a week and came back to Florida and within a few months or what, five, six months, it was COVID. So that was sort of the end of that. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. And, you know, ironically, this where I moved is totally expensive and really, you know, it's like, it's like the Williamsburg of Florida or something like it's cool. It's hip. It's expensive. <laughs> so so you moved to try and save money into an expensive neighborhood. Well, it wasn't as expensive at the time. It just like skyrocketed in the past two years. So, which is good. I mean, it's a, the quality of life is nice. I mean, it's living in Brooklyn by the end there. I mean, so many things were closed and people were leaving and everyone's sort of struggling. And so... It's nice here. Um, I spend a lot of time running, training for a half marathon. It's not as easy to travel from here, obviously, as it is from New York. Uh, where exactly in Florida are you? St. Petersburg. It's near Tampa. So it's like on the Gulf Coast, uh, you know, central. It's about three and a half hours from Miami, I guess. Although I haven't been to Miami since I was a teenager. But this year I'm going to go to the to Art Basel and all that finally, which will probably give me totally total anxiety and I'll be completely overwhelmed. But why would you be overwhelmed by Art Basel? Like nine million people. I don't know. Oh, uh, okay. Because of COVID, basically, is what you're saying. I'm like, no, I've lived through COVID in Florida. If I can get through that, like, Florida's kind of a shit show with COVID, isn't it? Oh yeah, like. I've been back to New York a lot and I feel safer in New York than I do here for sure. Like there's not a question there of like, you know, you show your vaccine card, you go to a museum, a show, a restaurant, it's fine. That would never happen here. Never. Wait, you all actually still have the physical cards? Cause we have like a QR code on our cell phones here in Europe. Yeah, one of my friends who's Belgian was telling me that she has the QR code, and if she doesn't get her booster, it's not going to renew the QR code and all that. So yeah, I, st I still have a card. I mean, Florida has no system because they don't care. I think you can get the thing on your phone in New York, yeah. So anyhow, Basel will be interesting because over the years, the galleries that I've shown with and still show with are usually uh, in Miami, not at Basel, but like at I think there's something called Untitled Art Fair and, you know, there's different art fairs. So it'll be good to show my face. <laughs>
Yeah, I honestly didn't care that much then. I mean, I'm way more sensitive about stuff now. <laughs> I want to be the badass I was when I was like 28, 29 years old. Well, that's interesting. When I, I like, okay, I feel like I'm far more sensitive now than I was when I was then, but I was very arrogant. I was a horribly arrogant self-righteous like all those kinds of bad things you know kid when i was in school and now i'm i'm far more sensitive about these th uh, the, like criticism of my work whereas i it's funny i used to have a thick skin and that sort of has gone away in time and i don't know why me neither that's the thing and it's really holding me back i think yeah it is interesting though how we become more sensitive as we get older because like i I never thought I'd like, I'm far more sensitive. Oh, well, it's funny. Like, I mean, I'm far more sensitive on a like personal level, but I think part of it is, is that my work has become more personal. Like it, it, you know, it used to be very sort of like generic and universal and like, Oh, everybody can relate to this bullshit. And now it's very much like, it's me. Like I'm putting my thoughts psychoses my issues like on the on the in the art and so it's when people you know challenge it, it it's very it feels much more personal because the work is much more personal right right yeah it's uh and i think that's sort of where i'm at too it's like okay what am i going to make work about now i mean it's not about my daughter anymore and it's fine because kids are supposed to grow up so Whatever I do is definitely going to be probably deeply personal. Like I'm not suddenly going to become a landscape photographer. So I got to be ready for like whatever that's going to bring. So I still to this day tell my students about the smooth white wall that you did in the Diego Rivera gallery. That was between me, Jason Awang, and Ricardo Rivera. And we did a collaboration. It was called The Perfect Wall. And uh, we almost got kicked out of school for that one. I remember. Oh, yeah, you were the, the guy. You the gallery. You're in charge of the gallery. That's right. No, but you put me in the middle. Like, that's it. I was in the middle of it because, like, I just worked there. I didn't really care. And I actually loved the piece. Yeah. But it was my responsibility to, like, save the mural from all the dust you were creating. <laughs> like, so, so like, you, you put me in a horrible position on that one. But yeah, I still love the piece. Like, and I it looked like winter in there. There was so much dust. It looked like winter. It was it was really quite. Uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah. And then the piece was the perfect. The, the, the perfect wall was perfect. It was. It was you beautiful. walked up to it and it, it, like you walk into a void. <laughs> Oh, I loved it. And I still tell people about it. I also still tell my students about you did a set of work that I, I'm not sure if I get have the details if I remember correctly, but like you made some artwork that looked like it was made by like seven different artists and you created a curated quote unquote curated show. Mm -hmm. And then you hired actors to act like they were the artists who created those individuals and you created scripts for them and sort of character studies for them so that basically these h hired actors acted like the artists that made all this art but it was all done by you yeah that was uh that was an experiment and uh i don't think anybody got that one <laughs> i loved it i thought it was absolutely you know, there's, there, was... there's something else that uh, no one else knows about but that 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 uh the gallery the diego rivera gallery i did a piece where i embedded a, a clock in the wall 
and then I just covered it up. And I, I'm guessing the clock is stolen the fucking wall. And I wanted to do a piece where I excavate the clock, and and of course the time has stopped. But uh, <laughs> I think it's still in there. <laughs> I, I I don't know. <laughs> Would be fascinating. What kind of clock? What was it? Like a watch or like a? You no, know, it was clock? a clock like that I took from the one of the studios. It's like one of those old. Well, those big, are big, big dial clocks. Yeah, the big <laughs> black and white hands. Wait. And- I think you told me that you were doing it, and I was, and I remember being just like, "Whatever, I don't care." <laughs> it's probably it's all in there, because it was coated in resin. I couldn't get it out of the fucking wall, so I had to fucking just basically cover up. But it was pretty deep in there, so uh, I'm guessing it's still in there. <laughs> it might be. I want to find it. I want to go do there, but I, I don't know if SFAFI exists anymore. So, <laughs> well, the building is still there. Yeah. Because I found that students that I related to, that I, I, I see myself in my students, this confusion and not knowing what the fuck is going on and being pushed into like uh, jobs as opposed to helping the student understand who they are. And I think that that's one of the most important parts of the arts. And I really enjoy uh, participating in that with my students and really blowing their minds. like. When they come in and they're like, you know, cool and stuff. And then at the end, they're like, wow, what the fuck just happened? That's the most amazing experience for me in teaching. So, and you, I I think that you would understand that sometimes when we're speaking about the arts, because we've been through this experience, that we naturally... We, I don't think about the things that I'm teaching my students. I'm really concentrated on trying to figure out how to relate new experiences to them. So whether it's through uh, drawing or through manipulating software, digital art, uh, I'm now also teaching us uh, 3D design. Uh, it's really, really enjoyable for me. And that is a whole other story right now in the U.S. Uh, it's maybe something you don't feel so much in Europe, but um, in the U.S. there is a very, very, how should I say, there's a special focus on a certain demographic right now. Like all the funds go to a certain demographic, and that includes artist residencies, and it includes shows, and it includes grants, it includes everything. So if you don't fit into that demographic, which I don't. Which is not a basically white man or white woman. White, yes, I, we, exactly. I'll be even more specific. White, heterosexual, cis, man, and woman. You got it. I didn't want to say it that way. You got it's it okay. exactly. I can edit it out. It's fine. Yes. So I'm basically, I, I actually, at this point, I sometimes feel like I'm discriminated because of my skin color, because actually I'm like my socioeconomic status is exactly that of the people they are now trying to maybe prioritize this too strong of a word, but to support, right? But I have the wrong skin color. So I'm kind of at this point where I'm kind of, you know, where I'm wondering, well, you know, um, a lot of my American friends say, well, this has to happen and it's going to change again. And, you know, it's just a, it's just a time now because because uh, they were 
uh, certain people got were underfunded and I'm like, well, yeah, but I'm in almost my mid fifties now. And you know, how much time do I have? It's if it's going to change again in 50 years, uh, in, 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 in 10 years or so, you know, so I'm like, well, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I just have to, at the moment, I'm just kind of hunkering down and waiting what's going to happen. I feel the same way. Like there are days where I sit around and I think like, fuck, I am the, well, I'm basically, I'm a representative of the patriarchy that has ruled the arts industry for centuries. And at the at the time when I'm maturing, suddenly they don't want to hear from me anymore. Like I literally some days feel like I like just missed my window. Like if I was just like 20 years earlier, I probably could have been doing fabulously in the arts industry. But I feel like I missed the boat. Like I'm just a little late. Like and, and I say a little late, like in the entire history of art, kind of like just like just you know, 20 years too late. I agree. And it, that, that I, I feel like it might even just be 10 years, actually. Like, uh, even 10 years earlier, I mean, not even just like, you know, even just, uh, not even just in the art world, per se, but also in terms of living an artist's life and being able to afford a life and to afford, like, a living situation and all of those kinds of things in the studio and all of these things. And somehow securing yourself a space. I think if I had come to the Bay Area just 10 years earlier, maybe even just five years earlier, I don't know. I really think my situation would have been very different. I mean, my situation is also probably a little special because I came into this country as an immigrant, you know? I like expat more than immigrant. (laughs) Yeah, maybe an expat, yeah. Either way, um, I do think there is, like right now, I feel like, wow, what am I going to do? I'm not getting into anything anymore. I mean, even the calls here in the U.S., you know, uh, they say we are especially looking for, you know, people of uh, LGBTQ+, people of color, people of uh, minorities, people, you know. It's like that is now what's, what's number one. They look at the person and the person's background and ethnicity or sexual orientation first. That is number one. And then they're looking at the artwork. Whereas I always, you know, I grew up with the idea that it's all about your artwork and not your person. I'm with you. Like I continually rail, and I'm sure if you listen to the podcast, you'll hear it. I've I've said it numerous times, but like I wish the art world was was based on merit. Like you make good work. So whether that's technically, conceptually, whatever, but like you make good work and you therefore you get the, you reap the rewards or the benefits of that. But unfortunately, there's no part of the arts world that has anything to do these days with Mm -hmm. the merit of your work. It has to do with connections and networks and skin color and sexual orientation and all these other kinds of things you know like and a lot of the people like you also said earlier like I keep hearing a lot of people going like oh yes I do this in my studio and I'm like so how do you make a living oh well my husband pays for everything or my wife pays for everything so like they've got some sense of financial security so they they quite honestly can make whatever the fuck they want because they've got like a lawyer spouse or something like this that basically funds everything they do so like there's a lot of things that make it really really difficult to just be a good practicing artist 
in this day yeah. and age. Yeah, I mean, definitely, that's exactly my experience. I, I could, I mean, almost everyone I meet, you know, if I meet a new person somewhere, or a new a, a person, an artist, I, you know, talking to the first time, it's always that same thing. Oh, my husband, my husband does this and that. You know, I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, you know, I'm like, it's um, almost always that it's, it's sort of, um, you know, and then what has happened to me too, or what I feel happens sometimes is that exactly those people are actually buying, I don't know if this is the right way to put it. They are kind of setting a certain precedent uh, that actually hurts us and hurts the whole artist community. Let's give you an example. Like this was somewhere where I was supposed to give a talk and I was asking, you know, how much uh, they would be paying me. And they basically said, well, you know, so-and-so artists did this for free, you know? And I'm like, well, and then I looked to so-and-so artists this, and of course it's a local person who has money or something, you know? And it's, it's just that it really is, it's really, really hurting us. Because those people think they are helping the artwork by giving for free, you know, by giving their services and their their uh, their skills and, and and everything for free, or doing workshops for free or something. But then arts organizations, including nonprofits, they get used to that and they want it to be that way, and they are suddenly asking for it to be free. You know, that is a huge, huge issue. Well, there's the other side of that too, which is like, uh, what's his, one of the, um, Biden's son is now suddenly a painter. So he's now selling paintings. Well, his paint, he's, he's a, a, a hobbyist at best, as far as the quality of his work, he has no formal training, no nothing. And quite honestly, I think he has no actual talent, but because he's B Biden's son, he's getting $50,000 per painting. So, so like then that skews what people think the value of a piece of art is. And of course, then it also diminishes merit and, and longevity. So like, you know, the, those of us who've been in the industry for 20 plus years, we can't get $50,000 for a painting, but Biden who just like decides to start painting on a whim suddenly can get $50,000 because his father's the president. Like. Yeah, I mean, there's so much weird stuff going on in the arts, you know, it's, yeah, it's, I guess once you are up, you know, it's the same thing with people, uh, artists who are really up in the higher ranks, they can do whatever they like, and it's, it's going to be a ton of money, you know, it's worth a ton of money. If we did exactly the same thing, and we did it first, it would be worth nothing, you know? So there's that, definitely. The art world is it's just a crazy place, <laughs> you know? It's just a crazy thing. Also, you know, during the pandemic and even before that, I was doing a lot of mushrooms and, um, and that helped kill the ego a lot, you know, and, and realize your position. And yeah, so a lot, of, a lot of it has to do with, and I'm a big advocate of mushrooms, I mean, I, I've had super like bad depression and stuff like that. And that has helped me since December, 2019. I've never been, I haven't been depressed since then, which is a miracle for me, you know? So I think that, and that not even just that, it just helps me um, think about new things in a different ways and be more empathetic to people. And, and, and it really helped create the things that I needed to create now with the gallery and, and focus on, on what is important. 
yeah, just to be clear, like I support psychedelic drug use. I, I'll do microdosing cool. psilocybin whenever I can get my hands on it, things yeah. like this. So like, absolutely. Yeah, I'm because you, it. I remember you used to uh, do the St. John's work back in the day. And I always think about that. And uh, yeah, so yeah. And I always think about that and uh, think about, and you are very um, open about, about why you needed to do it. And that was really something that stuck with me. <laughs> What did I say back then? It kept it kept it kept your mood, and oh, yeah. it maintained your um, your your ability to uh, deal with me because I think you were more uh, a lot had a lot of anxiety about a lot of things. Maybe yeah. Well, the thing that most of you all didn't know at that time was that uh, no. Sorry. What? Well, oh no, I'm perfectly fine yeah. with talking about my shit. But yeah. the I, I had just quit uh, being a drug addict. Like, yeah. So my move to San Francisco was my way of cleaning up. So I quit. That's the worst place to quit fucking drugs. I know. I quit heroin <laughs> and cocaine and I uh -huh. moved to San Francisco. And so that was my sort of process of going clean. And yeah. so, yeah, I was doing a lot of things to try and sort of re reconnect and refine a balance in my life. So, like, yeah. you know, taking that, the the party lifestyle, the roadie Ooh. lifestyle that I had and all that um, and, and try and find some sort of equilibrium and some 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 joy uh, you know without drugs which was very yeah. difficult at the time yeah and of course now 20 years later i've been clean for 20 23 years mm. of like the hardcore stuff mm -hmm. but i will still do i'll still yeah. smoke pot i'll yeah. still do cbds i'll yeah. do psilocybin you know mm -hmm. microdosing i'm i'm good mm -hmm. i'm really good with all like i look mm -hmm. forward to a little later in my life where like i can really like indulge in that a bit more <laughs> You could do it now, my friend. I'm telling you. <laughs> not in Prague. Like I'm not comfortable enough in Prague. I, I'm I, on I mushrooms right now. <laughs> <laughs> no joke. <laughs> Somehow I believe you. Yeah. Yes. No, you you should believe me. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I mean, I'm all for it. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm an advocate of it. I've always been an advocate of, of natural mm. substances for yeah, drugs and, and, and opening your minds. I mean, the way I got into art in the first place was uh, I took a bunch of LSD in high school and I wanted to recreate some things that I saw while uh, on LSD. And so that's, that's the worst literally, idea. Yeah, that's how I came up with my first artistic ideas. I remember uh, I did uh, acid uh, when I was young and I saw the sketchbook where I keep everything I've ever written. I still have it. Everything I've ever written, I'm really, really small. And then there's one page where I'm fucking tripping. And this, I was like, at the time, I was like, these are great ideas. And then I look back and they're, they're fucking stupid. <laughs> it was the worst ideas ever. I think the only drug I can actually work on is uh, high potency uh, sativa weed. And then, uh, or a little bit of mushrooms. That's it. I think I can do it that way, but anything else I can't, I can't fucking function. Yeah, <laughs> can't think I of love a good cocaine. thing. Cocaine. Cocaine is like, boy, I can, I am super productive. Uh, I only smoked weed and mushroom, did mushrooms. I didn't do anything else until I got to San Francisco. <laughs> so yeah, mom and dad, if you're hearing this, don't, don't pay attention to that. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, my dad, my dad, when I left school, he was like, you know, you have an opportunity to try everything. Give it once a shot and, um, you know, but know who you are. And and uh, that's what I did. So and uh, I think that's part of being in a. It seems to be working for you. Yeah. 
I mean, I don't really party that much anymore. I, I just do like mushrooms and, you know, that's, that's about it. Uh, I do a lot of mushrooms. Just on like, a, you know, between me and you, like, so like, are you talking about like, like, because when I do mushrooms, I fucking trip balls. Like I would do a ton of mushrooms. No, so I don't do a ton. Okay, so it's sort of more like a microdosing, like, uh, like a stem or a cap. Where so I have like, these gummies I, that are oh, okay. already already uh, split up, so I can know if I take one or five, one or two. I'm I'm on two right now. I can talk and stuff like that, and not have the nervousness of uh, it takes the sharpness of life off. And then wait, is it legal in California? Not yet. Oh, okay. Yeah. But I, gotta I was like, I'm moving there now. I mean, I, you know, it's it's quite easy to procure here. Anything is pretty easy to procure here. Yeah, I, and then it, but I never like really super trip. I only, I haven't done like a full on super trip where I'm like fucking like seeing colors and like, woo. I haven't done that in a while. I only super tripped. I never did the pansy mm. stuff. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, in the back in the kid. day. Oh, on the kid, yeah, super trip. But like nowadays, you know, I'll I'll do enough to maybe see some like you know Tetris blocks, but otherwise, um, not not that much. Enough to have funs and giggles sometimes when you're a bunch of friends. I like to do that, but you know, on a daily, not even a daily basis, but just sometimes if I'm being a little anxious, I'll just do some, and then I could get through and do the work that I need to do. Otherwise, I'd probably just lie in bed and not do shit. <laughs> It's funny. I did. I my wife and I both do. Well, I shouldn't tell about my wife. Let me rephrase that. We were out of this. Well, I'm not going to out her. (laughs) Okay, fuck it. My wife and I both. We both do uh, microdosing psilocybin. But it's funny. Like she does it to work. So she does it to sit in mm-hmm. front of the computer and get her job mm-hmm. done and mm-hmm. it focuses her in a really great way. Yeah. Me, when I take it, I cannot sit in front of the computer. I have to be active and moving and doing there's, things. There's there's a limit of things. I think I think there's when you date too much mushrooms, like the phone becomes anything screen wise becomes fucking alien to you and you just can't do it. And it just feels awkward. We're having that relationship with technology. But if you just like do a little bit be microdose on eyes. I think I, I you I think it's possible to I mean I'm here right now. <laughs> well we did we both did the same dose. Oh and like and I was I was like I cannot sit in front of my computer. So I just mm. went into the studio and I had an amazing time in the studio. So oh, like, okay, yeah. I, I can I can create art mm-hmm. magnificently while microdosing, but I cannot mm. sit in front of a computer. Whereas mm. my wife can absolutely sit in front of a computer doing it and she mm. doesn't see any effects of it when she's not. So it's really yeah, there's, there's different it, it people. people differently. Yeah. There's different people. I mean, people sometimes don't even like doing it without being nature. And I'm not really a nature boy. So I like to do it even a bunch of a lot of other people that aren't doing it. <laughs> it's entertaining for me because uh, I do get bored often, so it's entertaining for me to think about things in a different way. I, I'm really a big fan of human dynamics and figuring out behaviors of people. So I like I like kind of sitting there and kind of thinking about why they are doing the things that they are doing in front of me. <laughs> I, I've I've had so many good experiences on mushrooms. I mean, it's it's really great. But anyways, let, <laughs> we digressed a lot. Yeah, that's okay. Let's go back. For those people who 
do go down that path and that career that where they are practicing artists and they sell in galleries and they're doing all this, like there's a certain temperament, a certain personality that can do that well. And then there are some people like, like to a certain extent, me probably like, I like just what you were just saying, the freedom to just make whatever I am moved to make, whatever to talk about whatever thing I want to talk about through my art, not being pressured to or expected to buy XYZ outside influences. And I think there, there's a certain temperament of creative people that can do that magnificently, but it takes a very special kind of person to do that. Absolutely, I, I agree. It's, it's definitely a temperament and a character. Uh, there's nothing wrong. I mean, I remember someone in the Art Institute, she saw me and with my cell phone. And I didn't dress up like most of the artists in the school. You know, I was I was a designer, you know, I, I was professional, very clean. And we talked, and then she was like, at one point she said, I'm very suspicious of you. I love that word. A lot of students use it. I'm very suspicious about you being an artist, meaning she was pretty direct. Like, what would, are you going to continue doing art after? I mean, are you really an artist, you know? She didn't say that, but the word suspicious, that's how I interpreted it. Because people think that there's a stereotype of how you should look and what you should do and how you should talk and what you... No, there is none. People hate Jeff Kuhn, especially in the Art Institute. I love the guy. I think he's like, his comments on art world, everything he's doing. And he doesn't, he comes from being a broker and he doesn't probably, I haven't met him, but he probably doesn't look like how people imagine art or he doesn't, you know, his work is a lot about that. He's always in a very slick suit or very well fashionable and he looks like he's gotten a lot of Botox done. His skin is extremely tight. I mean, the guy married Chicholina. What do you want? I mean, it's, it's like... true. <laughs> but... What I'm trying to say is that there is no one way and it is depends who you are, your character, your background, what you preference in life. You know, some people don't care about not having family, which is takes a big chunk of some people can do family, have a family and do art their way. It really depends on you. I mean, I know myself, I know my character. I even if Someone came to me and said, I'm going to pay you for the rest of your life now. Go and do work in your studio. Don't worry about anything else. I could not even done it 100%. Just sit in my studio and make art. I don't think so. I need to get out of... That sounds magical. I would absolutely do that. <laughs> I know. And maybe I would take it on if someone would offer it to me. But I think I would need to get a break from that. There is something that is a very, uh, and you, I'm sure you know, there's something that is uh, self-damaging. Self can get you crazy if you just w live in that world 100%. For me, I need to get out of that. Otherwise, it's, what's the word? Self-destructing. I don't think I've ever known anybody who's just 100% artist. Actually, it's well, not true. Well, I, well. I do know some people that do that. They burn out very quickly is a lot of what happens. Yeah, but if you talk, uh, look at those who really made it, like the big names. I mean, I, I don't know them personally, but you know, Damien Hurst, if you want, or or Rushenberg, if you want. He actually came to the Art Institute. He was a yeah. very nice man. Matthew Barney. Yeah, I mean, those people are doing art 100%. They're not, they don't need a gig on the side, I think, right? 
we're using a different vocabulary. I'm thinking 100% like 40 hours a week, 50, to 50 weeks a year, like doing it as a job every day. Those people, they take like three months off, they regenerate, oh, and then you, they come you, back to work. Yeah. But they, what I mean is they don't mix it with other things that they're doing. Right, right. To I me, it's you. important. Yeah. To me, it's actually good to stop doing it for a while and do something else. Yeah. Okay. I got but, that. you know, again, if that person would come and if you know them, send them my way. Uh, <laughs> maybe it'll be different. But from my experience of doing it for two years, full time, every morning going to the fabricator and working at a big commission, it was pretty difficult after that, you know, for me. Yeah. You're so jolly. <laughs> Why shouldn't I be? Yeah. I mean, I've got a job where I get to just sit and talk with like-minded people about yeah. something we love. Yeah. So essentially, you are doing something very similar to me. It's a community-based aspect. It's approaching it in this way. Instead of it being artist-centric, as an artist yourself, egocentric, you're doing it and you're, you're bringing all these other people. And it's such a beautiful thing. You know what I'm saying? It makes sense now, you know? But I'll tell you, I'm trying to do that. Mm. I am horrible with building a community. I mean, I, you know, it, this goes back to the like, childhood bullshit. Well, know, we're you know. Gen X, dude. Gen X are horrible at, at social media in general. We can't do it like the millennials. So there's an interesting that ha thing that happens. So Gen X, we are the ones that were basically the lashy kids. Let us do. That's why pandemic for us. Fucking we the Gen Xers fucking killed it or I killed it at least. And you did, too. You let us be by ourselves with anything else worrying, and we'll fucking create something amazing. Whereas the millennials, they have a lot of problems tied with social media. Their identity is tied to it, and their idea of branding. Like for Gen Xs, the idea of branding itself, that was something we would so adamantly against, even like name brands of anything, wearing name brands or anything, or something adhering to our identity. Yeah, look at it. We just fucking wear the simplest black things or whatever it has no logos, no nothing. I always look like a Gap ad from the 1980s. Like just that that's it. Not you cannot you would not be able to know what I'm wearing. I'm just wearing clothes. So, the millennials have their idea of identity tied into things. It's very skewed. Uh they obviously it's like it's been a problem. Any technology that has come forth is both double-edged. It seems to do something that's really great. But then and eventually ends up turning its head and then just fucking swallowing us whole. Okay. And then that's the same thing. But the Gen Zers, G Zers are very interesting because they are taking more of a position of the Gen Xers. But it's interesting. I talked to a lot of them. It's really interesting. They're like, we don't like what the millennials done because it's ruined their identities. We're not for the brands. We don't want these kind of sponsorships that sell our identity to these corporations that are fucking ruining the planet or whatever not. Because they don't, millennials don't really care. It's like really weird. That was the difference between us and them because they were like, and we we're like, what the fuck? We can't operate like them because that's fucking fake. You know what I'm saying? And we can't do that. Gen Zers, uh, they take a more similar stance to us. But when they post, they are, they're trying to make it look like uh, it's nonchalant. It's, 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 it's casual, but within the casualness, this is interesting. They are trying to do several, several pictures and trying to get that most casual one where they're not trying to be like, I am. So it's kind of an interesting thing, you know, it's uh, a generations ago. And I think our, uh, our attitude and whether it be punk or not, or, or against these things are, are coming back. So 
maybe it's it's a time for Gen Xers to actually get our fucking due diligence. <laughs> well, I mean, it's hard. I mean, because like w- I was raised in the time of like I was raised with Fugazi and that whole yeah. crowd, and like that 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 ethos is very much sort of my thing, and like I'm not about standing on the rooftop saying hey here's this great thing i'm doing come Mm -hmm. come be participate i'm more about create a quality product and people Mm -hmm. will find it if that's what they're looking for yeah there that's essentially what i'm doing with epoch as well i don't add my name to it a lot of the times i let it be what it is because i don't want it make it about me it's about the project you know what i'm saying so Yeah. yeah I know. I mean, th- but I'm horrible. Like the the whole like podcast industry is all about the build a community, make mm-hmm. you know, be be connected with your listeners and all this. And I'm like, I'm happy to do that. That's fine. But there's a limit. I'm not gonna like put my time and energy into doing that. If it yeah. happens, great. But yeah. I'm not going to force it on people. Right. I understand what you're saying. There's a there's a certain line I have to promote in a certain way and I promote, but I don't really like, you know, I, I understand that it's not me. A lot of people who are posting, they, they especially millennials, they feel like it, it's them. Uh, this is not, my posts are not representation of me. <laughs> you know what I mean? And even not even a representation of the work itself. It's, it's just a representation. You know what I'm saying? So it's interesting to think about these things uh, and uh, how things are maybe going. And I think our ideologies and how we grow up may way better there, there not be as, as uh, hardcore or, uh, or as drastic, but they are coming back. I think. Yeah. I'm noticing a more of a, uh, an interest in craftsmanship and quality and merit and things like this. Like I feel like Ooh. the past like 10, 15 years have been very much about like what you're talking about, like this, branding and and sort of social media focus and all this stuff and i'm seeing a lot more people interested and engaged with um people like okay here i was talking with another person we graduated with sonia and we had this sort of back and forth about the fact that um a lot of the industry was very much about like the the young star the 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 youth youth was most interesting yeah. Um, and, and they sort of disregarded, well, more or less like people of our generation and people a little older than us as well. Sort of like they disregarded them in focus of youth. Yeah. And I, and I feel like there is beginning to be a thing because part of it is a little sad to me because I feel like, like in, in the old days, you know, the older the artist was, I mean, this sounds horrible, but like the older the artist was, the more sort of wise and experienced mm-hmm. and knowledgeable they were. And then there was this time recently in the past like 20 years where they've been looking more towards the youth as Mm -hmm. like oh the superstar young artist all this kind of crap and now i feel like there's a little bit going back towards like a little bit more respect and admiration for the wisdom of age and experience and so it's an interesting flow that's going on with that of of interest yeah you're absolutely right i think there's more interest that are going back to artists that are more established or have been working for a long time and that know their craft that you know and a young artist really the unfortunate thing is that when they get picked up or something they usually stick with that idea for a long time because it's making that making them money it makes it work for them but it's not really the fortress but it doesn't necessarily lend to development you know or 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 really fulfilling that part of you that you need uh, 
to be satiated by ideas and, and concepts and, and growing, you know, it doesn't really, it's not really for that. So I think, yeah, I think we have our, we have our time and place again, you know what I'm saying? In a certain way, our, our, um, whether you're late bloomers or not, you just keep on doing it. And then you're, you're, you find who you are. And the, the art world actually likes people who are confident and, and that don't give a fuck, you know, and they can sense it in the work. That's the re- that's always the reason why I'm like, why, what defines the difference between a grad student piece and someone that's out of grad student school? And I, I've been trying to think about that a lot. And I think the thing that really defines it is the idea that you don't, you're not trying too hard, as in trying to impress anybody. You're not trying to get their attention. You're not trying to say, hey, look, I mean, you're already established your, your identity and it shows in the work, you know? And that, that's why maybe the things that in grad school don't don't necessarily they you can see in that grad school stuff. You know what I'm saying? It's a it's a weird question. I do, but I, I think it took me longer than that. I think mm. I I don't think I started making the kind of work you're talking about, the, like the I don't give a fuck about other people until yeah. about ten or eleven years out of grad mm. school. I'm I'm yeah. literally like thinking through my series of works and stuff, and like I know exactly the series when I start stopped giving a fuck. Yeah, I, my me too. Mine was in 2009, 2010. Yeah, yeah, but they're very yeah. close. Yeah. And that's an important thing. People can sense that, you know. And when you stop kind of caring about the art world and how what they would think of you, um, you start you start to really kind of be more experimental and then actually doing things that are really fucking interesting because they're your interests. They're not anybody else's interests. They're your things that are interested. I didn't know that I was gonna be. I'm gonna do sci-fi dorky video projections. I don't know. And then it, it worked. No, no, I, I kind of saw that about you. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. I, I don't know if that's a compliment or not. <laughs> but I love sci-fi dorky stuff. Good. It's fine. It's good. I'm on your side. But um, yeah, it's 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 interesting how careers go in general, you know, and how how people have stuck in or that or I wouldn't say even people who have given up and quit art. I think the mentality is still there. You know what I'm saying? I think a lot of it. It doesn't matter if, if you still don't really pursue it. It, it matters if it, it eats you up that you can't. To wrap this up, I'd like to thank you for listening all the way to the end of the conversation. We would appreciate it if you would share the podcast with your friends, family, coworkers, studio mates, or anybody with an interest in arts and creative endeavors. The building and strengthening of the arts and creative community is at the core of our mission for this podcast. They can listen and subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. We are produced by 5014. The audio was edited by Cush Audio Services, and the music was created by Pete Bybee. The Wise Fool Art Podcast is supported in part by an EEA grant from Iceland, Liechtenstein, and Norway in an effort to work together for a green, competitive, and inclusive Europe. We would also like to thank our partners Hunt Kastner in Prague, Czech Republic, and Kunst Centrene in Norge in Norway. Links to EEA grants and our partner organizations are available in the show notes or on our website, wisefoolpod.com.